Let's turn in scripture this morning to the prophet Ezekiel. And we're going to read chapter 10. So in your pew Bible, Ezekiel chapter 10 will be found on page 833. And we'll read the entire chapter of Ezekiel chapter 10. And then I'd like to read the last three verses of Ezekiel chapter 11. So Ezekiel chapter 10, page 833. And we'll read the entire chapter. Ezekiel 10 and verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, in the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, something like a sapphire stone, in appearance resembling a throne, appeared above them. And he spoke to the man clothed in linen, and said, Enter between the whirling wheels under the cherubim, and fill your hands with coals of fire from between the cherubim, and scatter them over the city. And he entered in my sight. Now the cherubim were standing on the right side of the temple when the man entered, and the cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the temple. And the temple was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. Moreover, the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard as far as the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks. It came about when he commanded the man clothed in linen, saying, Take fire from between the whirling wheels, from between the cherubim. He entered and stood beside a wheel. Then the cherub stretched out his hand from between the cherubim to the fire which was between the cherubim, took some, and put it into the hands of the one clothed in linen, who took it and went out. The cherubim appeared to have the form of a man's hand, under their wings. Then I looked, and behold, four wheels beside the cherubim, one wheel beside each cherub, and the appearance of the wheels was like the gleam of a Tarshish stone. And for their appearance, all four of them had the same likeness, as if one wheel were within another wheel. When they moved, They went in any of their four directions without turning as they went. But they followed in the direction which they faced without turning as they went. Their whole body, their backs, their hands, their wings, and the wheels were full of eyes all around, the wheels belonging to all four of them. The wheels were called in my hearing the whirling wheels. And each one had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub, The second face was the face of a man, the third the face of a lion, and the fourth the face of an eagle. Then the cherubim rose up. They are the living beings that I saw by the river Kabar. Now when the cherubim moved, the wheels would go beside them. Also when the cherubim lifted up their wings to rise from the ground, the wheels would not turn from beside them. When the cherubim stood still, the wheels would stand still. And when they rose up, the wheels would rise with them, for the spirit of the living beings was in them. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. When the cherubim departed, they lifted their wings and rose up from the earth in my sight with the wheels beside them. And they stood still at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house. 
and the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. These are the living beings that I saw beneath the God of Israel by the river Kabar. So I knew that they were cherubim. Each one had four faces and each one four wings. And beneath their wings was the form of human hands. As for the likeness of their faces, they were the same faces whose appearance I had seen by the river Kabar. Each one went straight ahead. Then in the chapter 11, you have uh, some interactions that Ezekiel has with some men, the leaders of the Jewish temple. But if you would skip over all the rest of chapter 11 there and come to verse 22. Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 22. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them. And the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. The glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain which is east of the city. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me in a vision by the Spirit of God to the exiles in Chaldea. So the vision that I had seen left me. Then I told the exiles all the things that the Lord had shown me. Dear friends, I think that many of us can remember quite clearly the difficulty that we faced in March of 2020 when the coronavirus was first discovered in America and the churches were all required to shut down and we were not able to gather any longer as we are used to doing. Those were difficult times. I remember myself preaching in my church back in Grand Rapids and the church was completely empty except for an elder, an organist, and a sound guy. There wasn't a single other person in the church. And it was, it was frankly, rather miserable to preach to an empty church. And what a blessing it was on that first Sunday. I'll never forget it for me because it was May 17, which was my birthday. And uh, on my birthday, May 17, Sunday, we all came back as a congregation and, and worshipped together in our church again. And that was such a blessing. We, 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 you, know, you, you don't know how wonderful something is until it's taken from us. And, and it was taken from us for a while. And yet God in His grace and His mercy gave it back to us. And we're so thankful for that. And now we experience every day the joy of being gathered together. But congregation, even as we gather together then, and even as we gather together today, you know, we can think, uh, what a beautiful thing this is. What a wonderful thing it is to gather in a building with a church. It's warm in here. And we, we have a, a pastor. We have uh, an organ and a piano and, a, and all the other things that, make, that, that we do in our worship services. And yet, congregation, for all that, for all that, there's still something missing. And, and not even just something, but the most important thing is missing. Now, I trust that it's not missing this morning in our midst. But it can be missing. And that is the presence of God Himself. The presence of the Lord. Do you remember another prophecy that Ezekiel had? This one is very familiar to most people. Of the dry bones. Remember the valley was full of dry bones. And the, and the text says they were very dry. But then, the Spirit of God began to move on these bones. And remember, leg bone came to leg bone, arm bone to chest. Right, And these bones began to... Until there was a great army of people 
But they were all just dead people. They were just people. They were just people with bones knit together and with bodies and flesh. But they had no soul until the Spirit of God came down upon them and breathed into them and they became living beings. Well, in the same way, congregation, we can have that in our midst this morning and this evening and next week and the next week. We can have all the structure, you might say, of church is here. All the different parts and components are in place. But no soul. No presence of God. That's really what I want to focus on with you today. Is the, the beautiful teaching that the book of Ezekiel gives us on the presence of the Lord. And the necessity of that presence. So congregation, I'd like to, to reflect with you on this. Because in the Old Testament, the presence of God was a very visible thing. A very visible thing. It was a glory cloud, as it's called in the Old Testament. And you'll remember that when Israel traveled through the desert, traveled through the wilderness, the presence of God went before them. A pillar of fire by night, right? And a cloud, uh, a bright cloud by day, that bright glory cloud that led them through the wilderness. It was a very visible thing. It was also a very necessary thing, congregation. It was a very necessary thing. And if I go and look at Exodus chapter 40 with you, you can see what happened. You can see the necessity of this glory cloud. In chapter 40 of Exodus, you have the building of the tabernacle, and it's erected. All the, all the building materials, the structure of it, the coverings of it, everything is put into place. And then you have verse 34. Exodus 40 and verse 34. Then the cloud, that glory cloud, covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. So congregation, the tabernacle with all its furnishings all its measurements, all its dimensions, the outer court, the inner court, the altar, all the different parts are in place. But it's all just an empty thing. It's just a building. It's just wood and cloth and all the other parts of the tabernacle until the glory cloud of God descends from heaven and fills it. Now it's a place of worship. Now it's the dwelling place of God himself. And that's a happy day. That's a happy day for the Israelites, when the glory cloud of God filled that tabernacle. Well, when Israel became settled in the land, then Solomon built a temple. You remember David had plans to do it, but God said, David, you can't do it. You're a man of blood. You're a fighting man. Your son Solomon is going to build the temple. And so in 1 Kings and in the uh, chap first chapters of Chronicles, you find the building of Solomon's temple. Now in 1 Kings chapter 8, 
1 Kings chapter 8 and chapter uh, and verse 12, you see Solomon addresses the people. Then in verse 22, 1 Kings 8 and verse 22, you have the prayer, Solomon's prayer that he gives at the dedication of the temple. And then, uh, or before that then, you have the filling of the temple with the glory cloud. And you can see that in 1 Kings 8 and verse 10. It happened that when the priests came from the holy place, the cloud, or the glory cloud, filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So the repeat of what happened with the tabernacle, right? You recognize that. And now the temple, my friends, was, was uh, unspeakable in its glory and its beauty. The tabernacle was one thing. But Solomon's temple was spectacular in the extreme, covered with gold and, and, and with those two huge pillars in the front. You know, Boaz and Jakey, and you remember the names of the two pillars in the front? And the courts, the huge laver that they washed in, the bronze laver with the, with the oxen under each side, right? You can read all about that. By the way, if you're ever able to get your hands on an ESV study Bible and you open up to this chapter, you'll see a, a full page, a full cover of both, both sides spread picture of Solomon's temple. And I would recommend that you look at that because you can't stop looking at it. it it's just amazing to see the beauty and the glory of Solomon's temple as they picture it there. But at any rate, congregation, with all that beauty, with all that tapestry, with all the luxury, with all the gold, it still remains just brick and stone and metal and cloth. An empty place, even with all that beauty, until the glory cloud of God comes down from heaven and fills that place with the presence of God. Then it became the dwelling place of God. And then it became a place of worship. And not until then. Now that's Solomon's temple. We come now to Ezekiel. Because as you know, congregation, God called Ezekiel, and that's what we considered last week. God called Ezekiel to speak to the children of Israel. But in chapter 8, in chapter 8 of Ezekiel, God brings Ezekiel on a trip to Jerusalem. By way of vision, he brings Ezekiel to Jerusalem. And what's in Jerusalem? The temple. Solomon's temple. Now in 1 Kings 8, we saw the glory of God come down and fill that temple. But in Ezekiel chapter 10, we're going to see the opposite. We're going to see the opposite. Now, if you look at Ezekiel's temple in Ezekiel chapter 10, I'm sorry, this is not Ezekiel's temple. This is Solomon's temple. What I mean by Ezekiel's temple is later in the, in the last verses of the last chapters of Ezekiel. But in Ezekiel chapter 10, chapter 10, you see the glory of God again. And you see the same picture that we saw last week with these cherubim. And let me just refresh your mind there because uh, these cherubim are unique. They have four faces. They're facing in all four directions. They have four wings. And the text repeats over and over again, even in this chapter, that these cherubim don't need to turn to go in a direction. They can move to the east, to the west, 
to the north and south, they don't need to turn because they have faces. They're, they're facing in all those directions already. And if the Spirit of God that's in these cherubim says, go this way, they can go that way because they have a face. They don't need to turn. They're facing in every direction. And not only do they have a face going in every direction, they have a wheel going in every direction. Because you'll know, and this time I have the verse. Last time I struggled to find it, but now I have it. And that is in verse 10. In Ezekiel, it was in verse, uh, chapter 1 as well. But now you see in, in Ezekiel 10, verse 10, right? all four of them had the same likeness as if one wheel were within another wheel. So if you can imagine, again, that one wheel is going this way, right? But then within that wheel, there's another wheel facing this way. So again, if the Spirit of God tells the cherubim to go this way, there's already one wheel going in that direction. And if the Spirit of God says go this way, there's a wheel facing in that direction. The wheels don't need to turn. And by that congregation, it, it doesn't mean that the wheels don't turn this way, right? It means that they don't need to go like this, like a steering wheel, right? They don't need to turn like that. Because they're already facing in the direction where they need to go. You know that it said in, in our chapter that these are whirling wheels. It, uh, it, it said it in there somewhere, right? That, that, uh, that these wheels are whirling. And that means they're, they're, they're turning, they're spinning. Oh yeah, that's in verse 13. The wheels were called in my hearing the whirling wheels. So the wheels themselves are spinning, right? But they don't need to turn to go in any direction. And it, it's, as I studied this chapter, it was... It was it was uh, striking to me how, how, how many times this is repeated in this chapter that these creatures don't need to turn. Why, why does it keep saying that? Now again, congregation, I can't with absolute certainty say I know why. But again, my, my, my thought is, the idea is that these cherubim are always ready to go wherever the Spirit of God will take them. Even up, right? In this chapter, they go up. But if the Spirit of God says go in this direction, they don't even need to turn. They can just go. They can go. They can go. Go this way. They can go. They don't need to turn. There's already a wheel going that way. They have wings. They're immediately ready to do the bidding of God Almighty. And so here are these cherubs. And again, these cherubs are just the attendants of the throne room of God. Because above these cherub is this platform, this expanse, as it's called in verse 1, chapter 10, verse 1. And above that expanse is the throne, or again, the text just says it's like a throne because the glory of God can never be described, can never be captured. Here's this throne, and it has the surpassing glory on it. And that is the glory of God himself. Well, congregation, you see in verse, you see in verse 4, In verse 4, chapter 10 and verse 4, Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the temple. That would be where the door was. The threshold of the door. And now again, you must remember, congregation, that Ezekiel is watching this. He sees this in a vision. And he sees the glory of God rise up, proceed down this aisle, and stop right there in front of the door of this church of the temple. In verse 18, then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple. I'm sorry, before I go to verse 18, notice congregation, notice in, in verse 5, 
that as soon as the glory of the Lord begins to move, what happens? Moreover, the sound of the wings of the cherubim, their wings begin to go. Their wings begin to flutter, right? And, and maybe fluttering is not even the right word. They, they begin to beat because the sound of it is so loud, right, that Ezekiel notes that you could hear the sound as far as the outer court. He says it was like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks in verse 5. In other words, these cherubim are, are buzzing with excitement as it were. They, they stand to attention. The Spirit of God is moving. It's time to get up. We're, we're going to move. We're moving someplace. Their wings begin to buzz. Their wheels begin to whirl. And they begin to move with the glory of the Lord. And you see in verse 18, Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. And now the cherubim begin to move. In verse 19, When the cherubim departed, they lifted their wings and rose up from the earth in my sight with the wheels beside them. And they stood still at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house and the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. Now congregation, the temples, all the temples, the tabernacle, Solomon's temple, is later Ezekiel's temple, they all face east. So the doorway would be on the east and here we see that the Spirit of God has moved, has stopped at the threshold. Now the cherubim come and join him and now they rise up and they stand still at the entrance. So now they're in the doorway. A congregation, you can imagine Ezekiel. He's a priest. He understands what's going on. And he looks in despair to see the glory of God. The temple's just going to be reduced to a building again if the Spirit of God leaves, if the presence of God leaves. But there it goes. There it moves toward the door of that temple. And you can imagine Ezekiel saying, oh, is this going to happen? Is God going to leave the temple? Everything is lost if he leaves. And he's seeing this in his mind's eye in this vision. And you can imagine the sadness and the despair that must have filled his heart at this moment when he sees this transpiring in front of him. In congregation, the hammer falls, you might say, in chapter 11, right? In verse 22. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. The glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain which is east of the city. So the glory went to the threshold. It went to the door. Now it goes out into the city. And now it goes even outside of the city and stands over the mountain which is east of the city. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me in a vision by the Spirit of God to the exiles in Chaldea. So the vision that I had seen left me. So now Ezekiel's vision trip to Jerusalem is over. A congregation, what has he seen? He saw something far worse than anything that could be imagined. This, this would be even worse congregation than later when he gets the news that the Jerusalem has been destroyed and, and burned to the ground. That the presence of the Spirit of God has left. It's lifted up off that temple. The cherubim have gone with it. It's gone to the threshold. It went out the door. It went out into the city. And now it went to a mountain east of the city. And there stands the temple Congregation, do you see it? I want you to see that this morning. There stands Solomon's temple with all its gold, with all its tapestries, with its spectacular beauty, the big pillars, the bronze sea, all the altar, and it's all dead and empty. It's all, it's all garbage. It's just, it's just stuff. It's just bricks and stones. It's hard to capture 
The awful despair that must have filled this man's heart when he considered what he had just seen. But congregation, God is a merciful God. And he comes to his prophet Ezekiel with encouragement. Again, it's, the, the man must have been utterly devastated. You know, they call Jeremiah the weeping prophet. Well, Ezekiel too, congregation, could have been called the, the, the despairing prophet. Because he saw what no Christian ever wants to see. Well, congregation, God is going to speak to Ezekiel. And he's going to show him something that is going to give him new courage. And that brings me to Ezekiel's mind, if I can use that expression. Something that Ezekiel, God is going to show him, that's going to give him new courage. Because in chapter 40 to chapter 48, God gives Ezekiel another vision, congregation. He gives him another vision of a, of a, of a, of a, a new temple. And that's why we can talk about the tabernacle, we can talk about Solomon's temple. But now, congregation, we need to consider Ezekiel's temple. The temple that God shows Ezekiel. And much of the detail in here is amazing, congregation. If you read chapter 40, and we, and we won't, won't read it, but you can see that a man comes to him and begins giving him these measurements. Just as an example, look at verse 5, chapter 40 and verse 5. And behold, there was a wall on the outside of the temple all around. And in the man's hand was a measuring rod of six cubits, each of which was a cubit and a handbreadth. So he measured the thickness of the wall, one rod, and the height, one rod. And it goes on to give detailed dimensions of this temple. In fact, the, the detail is so great that many people have come to the consideration that this must be a real temple that is actually going to be rebuilt at some point in time. Now that's not how we understand it. Reformed interpreters have understood this temple to be a vision of a new church. Not so much a building, but of a new people of God. A new, uh, uh, an end time blessing that God is going to give to his people. But God gives this vision to Ezekiel in terms that he can understand. And Ezekiel is a priest. And so after the devastating vision that Ezekiel saw when he went to Jerusalem... Now God says, Ezekiel, that's over. Those people are destroyed. There's no hope for them anymore. But now this is what I am going to do. I am going to build a new temple, not a literal building, but I'm going to build a new kingdom, a new people. And it's going to be a people marked by the presence of God. And so congregation chapters 40 to 48, very few people read these chapters because they are quite... Um, detailed and all the different dimensions that are given. But the critical point, congregation, comes in chapter 43. And if you would please turn to chapter 43. Because now God gives Ezekiel a vision. Such a happy, happy vision. And you see in chapter 43 that Ezekiel is now on the gate facing toward the east. Right? All the temples, the entrance face east and he begins to hear and behold the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the way of the east remember where the glory cloud settled in chapter 11 remember it settled to the east of the city and now Ezekiel do you see him there children he hears something something is coming from the east and it's very loud 
Behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the way of the east, and his voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision when I saw when he came to destroy the city. And the visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Kabar. And I fell on my face. And verse 4, And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate facing toward the east. Now congregation, that's the wonder of God's free sovereign grace. Do you see it this morning? That the same door that the presence of God went out, he returns. He enters back into the temple. Isn't that a wonder? Verse 5, And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. Just like what happened before with the tabernacle, with Solomon's temple, it happens again to Ezekiel's temple. Then I heard one speaking to me from the house while a man was standing beside me. He said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell among the sons of Israel forever. What a wonder, congregation. What a wonder that is. That God now returns to this temple. And he says, here is my resting place forever. Because God is going to do it. God is going to make a difference, congregation. God is going to do it now. He's going to remake his people into a new covenant people. And God's spirit glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord returns to this building and says, I'm going to settle here. The soles of my feet, right? I mean, we even use the expression today, right? I'm going to put up my feet. And that's in a sense what God says. I'm going to put up my feet here. This is where I'm going to dwell. This is where I'm going to remain. And the house of Israel will not again defile my holy name. Neither they nor their kings by their harlotry and by the corpses of their kings when they die. Evidently, in those days, uh, the Israelites would, they, they revered their kings so much that they would build monuments for their kings that had died right next to the temple itself. And God said, this is my temple. This is where my name dwells. You don't put your, the, the, your king's memorial right next to the temple. Well, Israel did it anyway, right? But that was an abomination to God. And God says, the corpses of their kings, get them out of here. And harlotry, Harlotry is, is spiritual adultery, right? When they, when they served idols. But God says that's not going to happen anymore. These people are going to serve me with their whole heart. Well, congregation, there you see how God encourages Ezekiel by the return of the presence of the Lord to the temple. Ezekiel was devastated by what he saw, but God gives him a vision of a new people and a new temple and a return of the presence of God into that temple. Now, congregation, we come then to our application. Because here we too have a church. I should say we have a building. 
We have a beautiful building, congregation. This building is well provided for. It's maintained. We have an organ. And we have a piano. And we have people to play them. We have elders and deacons. We have a sound man. We have all these things in place. And congregation, God's blessed our church with a pastor who can preach here and lead services week after week after week. But congregation, what does it all come to if the presence of God is not here? If the glory cloud of God has never come into this place and never come into our own hearts, then what is this temple? What is this church? What is this building? It's just an empty building. And our gathering here is futile. And let me try to make that clear to you, congregation, because we say that this is a place of worship. And think about worship. I'll think about faith a minute. Right? When you think about faith, we think about truth, right? Because faith believes truth, right? We, we believe the teachings that God gives us here. When you think about love, right? Love puts into practice the commandments of God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. We need the law. But congregation, what about worship? What does worship center on? What, is, what does worship need? Worship needs glory. If there's no glory in this place then there can be no worship. And so if the glory of the presence of the Lord is not here, then there cannot be any real worship. Then like I said, this is just an empty place. Then this is just a fellowship hall where we come together and enjoy each other's company. But it can't be a place of worship until the presence of God comes down upon us and the glory of the Lord fills this place. Well, congregation, how can we know? How can we know if the glory of the Lord is in this place? We don't have a visible display like we did in, in, the, in the Old Testament, right? Where the glory of cloud of God, you could see it. It came down and, it, and, it, and, the, and the presence of God and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and filled the temple to such an extent that they couldn't even enter it because the glory was so overwhelming. So how will we know then, in Covenant United Reformed Church, in this place, how will we know if the glory of God is here? People have been known to say that. They say that about this church and maybe about other churches. That church is dead. That church is empty. There's, there's nothing happening in that church. So how can we know? This is my second point of application. How can we know if the glory of God is here? And when I was thinking about that congregation, I thought about that verse in Matthew 18, where Jesus says, <clears throat> in Matthew 18, verse 20, he speaks directly to this issue. He says, For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. I am there in their midst. When? When two or three have gathered together in my name. In my name, will we have the glory cloud of God fill this place? Then we need to be gathered in this church under Jesus' name. And that, of course, begs the next question is, well, how do we know that then? How can we know if we're under Jesus' name? That still doesn't give me anything concrete to examine our church by. Well, let me go back to Ezekiel 43. What does it mean to be gathered in Jesus' name? And the first thing I noticed in Ezekiel 43 is verse 18, where it talks, The Son of Man, thus says the Lord God. 
Thus says the Lord God, These are the statutes for the altar on the day it is built, to offer burnt offerings on it and to sprinkle blood on it. You shall, go, you shall give to the Levitical priests who are from the offspring of Zadok, who draw near to me to minister to me, declares the Lord God, a young bull for a sin offering. And so, congregation, what does it mean to be gathered in Jesus' name? And in the first place, it means that the Lord Jesus Christ is lifted up as a sin offering. Just as the altar was in the center of the temple, of all the tabernacles, Solomon's temple and Ezekiel's temple, in the same way, congregation, in this church, there needs to be an altar. And the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be on that altar as the only forgiveness for sins, the only offering for sinful people. And we covered that already when we, when we talked about the, the uh, when we read the law and then we had the assurance of pardon. That the Lord Jesus Christ is that sin offering set up in the church whereby sinners can come and find forgiveness under the blood of Christ. Congregation, is the glory cloud of God in this place? I would say, and scripture would say, that every time a preacher stands here and lifts up the cross of Christ as the only salvation for sinners, and do you see it? Well, you can't see it with your eyes. But the glory cloud of God comes down. You know, congregation, if I can say reverently, that God in heaven smiles. Smiles. He takes pleasure in the worship of that people who gather under the cross of Jesus Christ and who see it as a sin offering for sin, for sinners. This is a church congregation that is gathered in Jesus' name. And this is the place where the glory cloud of God dwells. But then in the second place, I see something else in, verse, in chapter 43. And this I see in verse, in verse 10. So Ezekiel 43 and verse 10. Uh, verse 12. Drop down to verse 12. Ezekiel 10 and verse 12. This is the law of the house. In other words, this new temple that God showed to Ezekiel, this is the law of the house. Its entire area on the top of the mountain all around shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the house. Now here, congregation, we see a difference. In the tabernacle, there was the holy place, but then you'll remember that the ark was in the most holy place. And this was repeated in Solomon's temple. There was a holy place, but then there was the most holy place, or the holy of holies. But not so in Ezekiel's temple. In Ezekiel's temple, the whole temple complex is most holy to the Lord. Now, congregation, will we know, in Covenant United Reformed Church, if the glory cloud of God dwells in this place, what is the law of this house? What is the law of Covenant United Reformed Church? And I don't mean now that we go to the church order or that we go to the policy manual. I mean, what is the law in the hearts of everyone gathered here today? Holiness to the Lord. Congregation, do you see yourself as most holy to the Lord? Dedicated and set apart, purely holy entirely to the service of God. Is that your heart this morning? Well, congregation, in that place where the people are resolved and determined to walk in a way of holiness to the Lord, 
there comes the glory cloud of God in that place. Again, you don't see it with your eyes. But in Scripture, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered under my name, there I am in the midst of them. There is that glory cloud, the presence of the Lord, where the altar, the sin offering is lifted up. Jesus Christ, the only propitiation for the sins of his people. And where holiness to the Lord is the law of the house. That is the church where God, God's presence is. Now, congregation, I love it that in Matthew it says where two or three are gathered. Because in the U.S., how do we measure the health of churches? How large is your church? How many people attend? What does your budget look like? Numbers, numbers, numbers. Congregation, if we ever get to a point in this church, church where we have to meet in the back shed, wherever it is, and there's only two or three of us left, but let the presence of God be amongst us, congregation, and that will be the healthiest church in Kalamazoo. Believe it. This building, congregation, as beautiful it is and thankful we are for it, and the budget numbers that the deacons have to crunch down in the basement. Jesus doesn't point to that. Jesus says, where they're gathered under my name, where the glory cloud of God fills that place, whether it's a barn, a shed, or a beautiful church, where the glory cloud of God is, where the two or three, or the two or three hundred, or the two or three thousand are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Congregation, this is something that is taught us so clearly in the book of Ezekiel. It's something I love about the book of Ezekiel. It focuses our eyes as a church on the glory cloud of God, the presence of the Lord in our church. Now, all these other things have to be attended to. I understand. We have to tear up carpet. And we have to put down carpet. All those things have to be attended to, for sure. But congregation, don't miss the most important thing of our gathering from week to week. If God is not here, then this is an empty, empty place. That's why I put that text under the title there, where Moses says to God, Lord, if your presence goes not with us, do not lead us away. Do not lead us on from this place. Now, congregation, I close the sermon by going to the very last verse of Ezekiel. Not even the last verse, the very last phrase. And I really would like it if you could turn with me and see it with your own eyes. Ezekiel 48 and verse 35. Not only will there be a new temple, but there will be a new city. And now look what it says, Ezekiel 48, verse 35. The city shall be 18,000 cubits roundabout, and the name of that city. Look at the name of that city. The Lord is there. What an encouragement that would be, congregation, for us if we knew that the Lord was in this city, in this church, in this building. And if written over this church would not be Covenant United Reformed Church. Although, honestly, that name really more or less means the same thing. Covenant United Reformed Church. But the Lord is there. Yahweh Shema. Yahweh is there. The presence of the Lord is in that place. This would be 
a happy, healthy church congregation if that was the case. And I pray that you and I would join each other to beg God for that glory cloud to come up and to take its residence in this place. And the Lord would say, this is my dwelling place forever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God and merciful Father, we earnestly desire that your presence would be in this place. That that glory cloud, O Lord, would come down and descend into our hearts. And that as we lift up the Lord Jesus Christ as crucified and as the only Savior for sin, and as we make the law of this house, holiness, most holy unto you, Lord, I pray that you would come down, that you would dwell in this place. We pray, O God, that this church would focus less on all the things that we focus on, programs and and activities, uh, Lord, but that we would focus our prayers and our call to you. Oh God, dwell in this place. That it would be our earnest desire that over the threshold and the doors of this house would be written, the Lord is there. The Lord is there. Lord, will you come down then? Will you make this place your dwelling place forever? Will you rest the soles of your feet here in this, in this house? And may we have the pleasure of knowing that this is your dwelling place forever and forever. Lord, we pray that you would bless us then in this way. We pray also this evening, Lord, that you would bring our brother safely here from Grand Rapids and that he also might know the blessing of, of your hand to be upon him as he brings us your word. And may it be again, O Lord, that there would be glory in this place to the glory of your name and to the upbuilding and edification of your people and also the conversion of sinners who have not yet come to Jesus Christ and found their life in him. Lord, hear our prayer. Bless us now as we close this service in your name. Amen. Let us turn then.